Hi, everybody. This is Joan Osborne, and you're listening to the Midwest Mixtape Podcast. Welcome to the Midwest Mixtape Podcast, live from the Barn Studio in Southeast Missouri. You got the mocks here, and I'm joined with a special guest online right now. We have Miss Joan Osborne. Joan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing really well. We're excited you're coming into St. Louis, an area that we cover at the uh, City Winery on Thursday, September 28th at 8 p.m., and we're excited to have you in town. Yeah, I'm excited, too. I've, I've played all of the other city wineries and this is my first time in st louis i guess it's a new room is that right it's pretty new yeah yeah so uh, you can mark it off your list and we're excited to have you in town you're <laughs> you're out supporting this uh new album nobody owned you it's out now everywhere it sounds like an exciting time for you right now it is it is i mean this is the this is a, an album of all new original material and you know i i feel like it's my 11th studio album and I was when I started working on the songs, I was kind of nonplussed about the whole process. I think I was like, well, does anyone even care? And, and, you know, what, what am I even doing? And, but as I worked on the songs and I worked with this amazing producer, Ben Rice, we really dove into it. We had an amazing time and the songs really came together. I think in a very deep, soulful, yet also really uplifting way. So I feel like it's maybe the best thing I've ever done. And, to be able to say that at this point in my career is, is really exciting for me. And this new tour is no joke. It, it runs pretty much this week through December, and you're hitting all parts of the United States, right? Oh, yes. I'm, uh, I'm in training for that right now. In fact, I'm, I'm in Central Park, and I just took an hour-long bike ride uh, on one of those big tank city bikes that's so heavy. So I'm, I'm trying to get myself together so I can physically you know, do the whole tour you've been touring for years and you've been a professional musician for many years now. What are some of the mm-hmm. cities and towns that really have embraced you in your career? I mean, I, I feel like I've had a lot of great people in New York and New York state who've embraced me from the very beginning because I started my career in New York city and was playing, you know, five or six nights a week in New York city when I first started out. And then I kind of branched out into Boston, upstate New York, Philadelphia. So the Northeast has always been a really good stronghold for me. But I'm a Kentucky girl, so I love to go back to the Midwest and towns like Chicago and Minneapolis and Louisville, of course, and St. Louis. You know, I always I always feel great going back to those areas as well. And I bring up the cities because your new single, Great American Cities, uh, mm. I love the video, by the way. You're able to kind of showcase some of the great parts of our nation what motivated you to create something like this and, uh, and you know, put a little spotlight on some of the cities? Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, as I travel around, I uh, sometimes will be sitting in an airport or a lounge or something, and I'll I'll hear these TV pundits just kind of running down America's cities, and and I feel like, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but I feel like these pundits go from their air-conditioned studios to their town cars driven by their chauffeurs, the tinted windows to their gated communities, and they don't ever really go to these cities, but I do. I go to them all the time on tour, and I know that they're, you know, of course, every place has their issues, but, you know, America's cities are full of life and creativity and excitement and joy, and I just think they're such an important part of what makes America this wonderful place. So I, I just wanted to to celebrate America's cities in this song. I absolutely love that. I've talked about this several times. You know, I live, I've lived near or in St. Louis for the majority of my life. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, it's sort of become the new running joke that I think maybe Detroit used to have, right? It's not somewhere you want to go. Yeah. It's full of crime. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. But I can say as somebody who's lived there his whole life, and I'm 43 now, I've never experienced Mm -hmm. it. I hear these things on news, and I hear all these people talk about all this, and I've never seen it for for myself. And maybe I'm blessed. Maybe I'm lucky. Like I said, I'm not diminishing the stats or anything like that. But I do think we often focus on the negativity. Exactly. And, you know, I think you get clicks when you, you know, focus on something that's outrageous or, you know, and that's sort of the way our news cycles go, but it really does discount the experience of people like yourself and like me who, you know, I love these cities and I am there all the time and you can have a wonderful life in these cities. It doesn't mean that there aren't issues that need to be dealt with, but you can't just say that, oh, all of America's cities are, you know, awful. And I I just think that's the wrong approach. If, If you want to help out and if you want if you've got an idea for addressing the issues and the problems great but otherwise you know it, i feel like the people who don't live in the cities really shouldn't be running them down i'm not sure when this interview will air we happen to be talking on 9-11 yes and you're in central park now in new york city lived there for a number of years if i'm not mistaken um, yeah i've lived here for decades yeah now, obviously, it's it's a sad time, but it's also a time to celebrate the lives and to celebrate bravery and everything that we went mm-hmm. through. What is the feeling like in New York today? Well, of course, there are ceremonies all over the city, and it's a, it's a solemn time to remember the people who sacrificed their lives and the people who were victims of the terrorist attack. And that's not something that the city is ever going to forget. But I do think it's also a, a moment when people think about the resilience of New York City and the resilience of the people who live here and the fact that, you know, after this terrible attack, life did resume and life has gone on and it's a wonderful place to be. Do you have a specific memory of 9-11 and where you were during that time? Yeah, actually, I was in Los Angeles and I was scheduled to start work on a new album on, on that morning and the producer called me in my hotel very, very early. And I was like, why is he calling me so early? And he said, he didn't say anything other than turn on the television. And so I turned on the TV and I saw, you know, I was watching, this was just after the first plane had hit. And as I was watching the second plane uh, hit the towers and, you know, we both were just 
shocked and silent and you know it was a horrifying thing and and i hung up and called my other family members who lived in the city and thankfully they were all safe i tried to call friends and then then there was no way to get in touch with people after the first little while so it was it was a frightening time just to you know wondering if the people in your life were safe or not and then of course i was stuck in los angeles i wanted nothing more but to go back to new york and see what i could do to help and i was stuck in la because all the flights were grounded for you know several days can we talk about the new album Absolutely. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So it sounds like it's more of a personal and introspective approach to, you know, compared to some of your previous work. Can you tell us about the inspiration behind this shift in focus? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, as I mentioned before, I was looking at the process of, okay, it's time to make another album. But, you know, I've been doing this for decades. and, And part of me was saying, well, does anyone even care? And do I even care? And do I still want to do this? And you know, it's, I turned 60 last year, so it's a, a time when people take stock of their lives and they think, well, you know, what my life on this planet is finite as everyone's is, and what do I really want to do with the time that I have remaining? So I, I really had to ask myself, well, you know, if I'm going to make this record, what do I want it to be? And, um, and I, I ended up deciding to do something that was much more personal than anything that I've ever done. And also trying to be very direct and simple in in the writing. You know, I've written all different kinds of songs, and some of them are, you know, maybe more mysterious and open to interpretation and, and more like short stories. But I really wanted to do something that was very simple uh, in the way that a Lucinda Williams song can be simple, in the way that a Leonard Cohen song can be simple, in the way that a blues song can be simple. Um, and just to try to be as direct as possible and say what I mean. I'm a girl dad. (laughs) So you can see where this is going, maybe. The title track, Nobody Uh Owns You, is dedicated to your daughter, and it uh, conveys a powerful message you know, of female empowerment and self-acceptance and all those conversations that we need to be having with our daughters. What inspired you to create such a personal and empowering song? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, as... You mentioned I do have a daughter and she's a teenager and, you know, strange, strangely enough, she's not really interested in hearing all the words of wisdom that I would love to pass on to her. Um, <laughs> that that seems to know, happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's at this point in her life where I'm the last person she wants to turn to for advice or anything like that. And, you know, it, it can be frustrating to feel like I have so much that I would like to tell her that can make her life easier and um, and save her a lot of trouble. But I also understand that she needs to be finding out a lot of things for herself right now. So so I'm lucky that I have this outlet of you know creating music and I can take those words that I'd like to say to her and put them in a song. And then, you know, at some point she will listen to it. But until then it's for whoever else might need it. And you know, I think as as much as we have come so far in supporting our young women and our girls in this culture, I do think there's still this notion that girls internalize that, you know, they have to be perfect. Nobody can be mad at them. They they can't, you know, they have to take care of other people. And I feel like it's a, a difficult time for them. So I just wanted to let her know that 
you know, she is complete unto herself. She doesn't need people's approval and she can be a kind and generous person without sacrificing herself to her friends and to her partners. And, and that's, you know, that nobody does own her and not, not me, not anyone. And that that's something that she needs to keep in mind as she tries to navigate relationships in her life. Did you catch the Barbie movie? I did, yeah. What'd you think about it? You know, I I have mixed feelings about it. I think there there were so many funny things that they brought up about, you know, about patriarchy, about this society that we all live in. And I think it was an interesting thing to go from this world of Barbie land where it's all about the girls to our culture, which is a patriarchal culture. And to have the character of Ken be like, hey, I kind of dig this patriarchy thing. Um, but I also thought, it, you know, it, it's a comedy movie. So there's only so far you can dig into that topic um, without maybe thinking that you're losing people. So I don't know. I, I thought it was interesting, but I thought it was uneven personally. So I took my girls to see it. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're younger. So I'm not sure they caught all of um, sort of the um, things you really need to be paying attention to to catch. Uh-huh. Uh, but what it did for me is it opened some conversations up. So we're leaving uh-huh. the, we're leaving the movie theater and we get to have some conversations that maybe we wouldn't have had before. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I loved it. I, I thought it was one of the most important movies I've seen. I, I think it was done in a really awesome way. And like I said, it, it was pretty meaningful to me to be able to take my daughters to it. Well, that's great. I'm so glad. And I think you're right. I think it's an unusual way of packaging a message about, you know, women's role in culture and, and feminism and all of that in this very candy colored package. So yeah, it's probably starting a lot of conversations that wouldn't be had otherwise. And of course, that's very important. Back to the album. We're getting off track here, but that's okay. (laughs) Enjoying our conversation with Joan Osborne right here. You know, Nobody Owns You features a lot of sounds like talented musicians. You want to talk about some of the players that are on this record? Yeah, well, I was very excited to have some friends, old and new friends, come in. Um, uh, this woman, Catherine Russell, who I've known for you know decades and decades and, and worked with her in the past. She's an amazing singer. She comes from this very incredible musical family. Her father was Louis Armstrong's music director. Her mother was an incredible musician and played in this all-female orchestra back in the 1940s and 50s. And she's she's just an incredible talent and a great friend. And she came in and, and sang backing vocals on a lot of the tracks, uh, Great American Cities, Woman's Work, things like that. I also have some newer friends who are incredible musicians. Uh, there's Cindy Cashdollar, who is an amazing pedal steel player and slide guitar player. And she's worked with everybody from, you know, Bob Dylan to Ryan Adams to, you know, all kinds of people. And uh, so she came in to play some pedal steel and slide guitar on tracks like So Many Airports. And then a newer friend is uh, this amazing singer-songwriter, Rachel Yamagata, who came in also to sing some backing vocals. And she's just so talented and has such an amazing voice. And I met her a couple of years ago at a John Lennon tribute. And we just started talking and and have been, it it was like one of those instances where you start talking to someone and you're instantly friends as if you've known each other for decades. So that was really wonderful to have her be part of it as well. 
It's a great album, and we can't wait to hear it. Thursday, September 28th, City Winery, Joan Osborne with Pete Muller and The Doors and the show is at 8 p.m. Joan, we can't let you get out of here without talking about the past a little bit. Okay. I'm a 90, I'm a 90s kid, and uh, uh, you could not go anywhere in the mid to late 90s without hearing one of us on the radio, in the supermarket. It was everywhere that music was played. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that time, what it meant to you, what that experience was like for you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you ask because I'm, I'm starting to work on a memoir, so I'm thinking a lot about that particular time. And for me, it was, of course, incredible. You know, every artist wants to be able to reach people with what they do. So to have been part of creating something that had that kind of meaning and had that kind of reach was incredibly gratifying. You know, I think for me personally, it was it was strange because the sort of fame and the visibility that went along with it. You know, I'm, I'm a fairly private person. So that part was not really comfortable for me. And you know, I never really did get used to it. Uh, it was just sort of something that I had to deal with as best I could. But I I feel like the success of that song, you know, we talk about the Barbie movie. I think that song, in a way, it's a similar thing because it's a, it's a pop song. And yet it's talking about, it's talking about God and it's asking you what you believe about God and, and what do you think about God in your life? And, and I think for a pop song, that's a very unusual thing to ask of people and to ask of the audience. So I think it had a, um, a reach and a, a depth that stayed with people. And, you know, the, the song has had a life even beyond my version as well. And, and, uh, and I think probably the success of that song is part of the reason that I'm still here, you know, decades later and still doing this and still able to do music for my livelihood. You talk to some artists and they're almost resentful of, you know, their biggest hit at times, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And then other artists seem to just embrace it and maybe, you know, be accepting of it or, or thankful for it, that it helped their career in many ways. Where do you do you lie somewhere in that spectrum? Oh, I, I'm definitely grateful for this, you know, to have happened. And, you know, it's something that I didn't really anticipate or even necessarily try for. But I think it's I think it's a wonderful thing. And, you know, when I play live shows and we start the melody at the beginning of the song to feel this sort of intake of breath from the audience and and this excitement and to feel that energy boost, you know, I mean, what's wrong with that? That's amazing. (laughs) That's a great thing to have happen. You know, when you go to work every day is to have people so excited to hear something that they that obviously means so much to them. It's it's a real blessing. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned it, but like you also hear artists talk about being surprised at what becomes a hit, right? And these mm-hmm. these lyrics wasn't like other pop songs or rock songs of the time, like the very thought provoking. Was that a surprise to you that became so popular with the lyrical content and the context of it? I mean, for me, it was a surprise, yes. But I have to say that the producer of the album, a guy named Rick Chertoff, he knew right away that it was a hit song. Um, when Eric Bazilian, the, the writer, brought it into the sessions, we were all working together writing songs for the album. And he kind of woke up in the middle of the night and had this idea for the song and, and sketched it out and made a little demo of it. And then he brought it in the next day to the studio and played it and saying, oh, I'm going to 
send this song to that band, the Crash Test Dummies, because I think they'll they'll like it. And Rick heard the song and he was like, no, you're not. You're not going to send that to them. You're going to let Joan sing that song. <laughs> right. uh, that's a hit song. So I have to be thankful to Rick for that as well. <laughs> Joan, we are so appreciative and thankful for you calling in today to the Midwest Mixtape Podcast. Everybody, if you're listening to this, go out and listen to Nobody Owns You. Great record. And you're going to be touring pretty much all of the United States in support of that record, and specifically in St. Louis, Missouri, at City Winery, Thursday, September 28th. Really appreciate your time today and had a great chat. Thank you so much. I hope to see you at the show. I've been to all the great American cities.